For cannabis, there isn't a structure, there isn't a box, there isn't the ability to, in some cases, even create a box. So more often you have roadblocks more than anything. So instead of looking at an opportunity and saying, well, we can't do that because regulation says X, Y, and Z, you got to look at it and say, well, what can we do? You're listening to To Be Blunt, the podcast for cannabis marketers, where your host Shada Taravi and her guests are trailblazing the path to marketing, educating, and professionalizing cannabis. Light one up and listen up. Here's your host, Shada Taravi. Hey there, it's Shada Taravi, your host of To Be Blunt. Just checking in before we kick this week's episode off to see how you're doing. I hope these episodes have been as valuable for you as they have been for me. Every guest truly brings a new wealth of knowledge and experience from their respective areas of the cannabis industry. And it's been really great to hear back from some of you about all the inspiring ideas you're coming up with in your own cannabis brands and businesses. So thank you. And please continue to reach out to me on LinkedIn, Instagram, and via email because I appreciate the opportunity to connect with you and sincerely want to get to know how this podcast can help you grow. So kicking off today's episode, we're on episode eight, by the way, if you're keeping track, I have Joe Hodis on the show. Joe is the CMO of Wanna Brands, a Boulder-based edibles brand that has exploded over the last 10 years and is now the number one brand in cannabis found in markets across the USA and soon to be emerging into Canada. Joe is the former CEO at GoFire, a cannabis dosage device company. Prior to that was the CMO at Dixie Elixirs, another top Colorado-based edibles brand and has been a cannabis marketing agency executive helping market and brand some of the leading businesses in the space. Let's welcome Joe to the show. Despite the fact that I was able to start right as adult use legalization began, and so my experience you know, has really been part of that world, I'm often quick to note that cannabis has been around for so much longer, and there are so many people that are currently serving prison terms and have been falsely or, or inappropriately incarcerated for their involvement in cannabis. So I just you know, want to make sure that we, we recognize that there's a, lot, a long legacy long before those of us who got involved in the legal cannabis industry. But thank you. I appreciate that title. And uh, as far as my journey, you know, as, I, as I just mentioned, it really began in January 2014, which is when adult use legalization was, was uh, implemented here in Colorado, first state in the, in the world, country, world to do that. And uh, I started the first week of that uh, legalization. So it was certainly interesting, but my exposure to uh, the company that I ultimately joined and to the industry as a whole began in 2010 when I was a partner with that agency and a little pot soda company, as they call themselves, came to us and wanted some help with branding and uh, some research. So that's when I really began to understand a little bit more about the cannabis space and what type of consumer was using cannabis and why and the potential for products and growth. And it really be, you know, it fascinated me to see that there was such a wide variety of people, young, old, healthy, sick, who really were benefiting from cannabis or that matter, just using it recreationally. So that was my, the start of my journey. And then um, ultimately I went in-house in 2014 with Dixie Brands, uh, which was my first company that I worked for in the cannabis space. 
That's great. And Dixie Brands is also a really well-known company in the cannabis space, which led to you going and ultimately joining Wanna Brands, which is 10 years old. They're a leading edible brand. And you joined just five months ago in the middle of a pandemic. So I wanted to kind of touch on your job description. I saw this on a blog post the company put out with you joining the company. It said, you're creating innovative and refined marketing campaigns while growing Wanna's brand market share and customer loyalty. And so I wanted to unpack, you know, what does Wanna do to build customer loyalty that has kept you guys in business for a decade? And how has your marketing shifted during the pandemic when cannabis was marked as essential for most legal states? And we ultimately saw a record amount of sales in edibles. Interesting question. So I'll, I'll tackle them separately. In terms of WANA and the loyalty that we have um, as a brand from our consumers, it's actually pretty fascinating to me. It's one of the reasons why I wanted to come to WANA. So I've known WANA since I've been in the industry and I've known Nancy, the CEO of the company. And what I've seen is as other companies have faltered and, you know, not for the marketing itself. I mean, you know, when I was at Dixie, we did great marketing, great packaging, you know, all kinds of good stuff. But WANA has that special something that I think brands look to generate, which is just organic love for the brand. People love our products. And I, and I believe um, that much of that comes from two places. One, I think Nancy has done an, an, an amazing job. You know, PR is a, a pretty big channel for marketing and cannabis because of all the other regulatory restrictions we have. So Nancy's done a great job of creating this face of this company that is different. It is woman-owned. It is conscious of our society and our place in it. It is community forward. So all of those things really, I think she has carried in a, in a very strong way in our public relations efforts. Um, but secondarily, it's the products. So for much of the the, the first you know half of, of adult use legalization, many companies were struggling to both keep products on the shelf, but also provide consistency and quality and all of all of those elements that make for a product that people really want and and that they they go back for. We had that early on, and we happened to get into the right space, which is the the gummy space became the number one category within edibles. So that was a good choice, but we perfected it early. And I think many companies have tried to to do the same since then. And I think still we have a better product than, than most of the companies that are out there. Yeah. It's funny. You mentioned, you know, the fact that it's a gummy, but I think there's so many facets to putting a gummy to market, right? You're looking at the quality of the product, also how you educate what's in the product. It's not like you're just taking candy to market. You're taking essentially what has previously been classified as a schedule one drug, I think there's also a lot to be learned from the data when you look at who a traditional edible customer is. Perhaps it's fair to say that it's usually first-time consumers or there's a particular type of demographic for someone who is pursuing an edible over a smokable product, for example. And so I think there's a lot more care and concern with how you market and communicate the value of the product and the effectiveness of the product that's ultimately then packaged, yes, in a gummy. But you recently launched a campaign that I saw on LinkedIn that piqued my interest. And I just wanted to kind of touch on, you know, kind of what was the inspiration behind bringing it to market? It was, I think, four different competitors' gummies. Obviously, we're in the peak of summer. I'm here in Austin, Texas. We're hitting, you know, triple digits, of course. And some people, myself included, might leave my gummies in the car. And you had some graphics that showed, you know, competitors' gummies that were completely melted by the heat, of course, in the packaging. And then there were Wana gummies and they were perfectly intact and ready to just go. And I just thought it was such a simple, a simple way for you to highlight the quality of your brand while also making a really strong statement about the ingredients, right? 
Well, thank you for, for noticing that. And, you know, it's interesting that that will become a campaign. It's actually what the LinkedIn post was really uh, a very organic attempt for me to test the market, test the message a little bit. How does this play? Are people interested? Do they, do they know that gummies melt? Do they know why gummies melt? And uh, we began doing some in-house experimentation, different temperatures, length of time, understanding how hot a car gets in the summer if it's 90 degrees, which I now know is about 142 degrees that a car can get to within 30 minutes on a 90 degree day. So we began to look at all of those aspects, but I put that on LinkedIn to, which is a great platform as a marketer. I love LinkedIn. I'm, I'm pretty active on it. And I think it provides a lot of value in a different, in a way that other platforms are unable to. And in this case, I really wanted to test that message. Does the fact that gummies melt, does that matter to people? And sure enough, the feedback I got was pretty positive overall. The fact that most gummies melt and not understanding that this goes back to the conversation we were just having a second ago about quality and, 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 and the time and effort that we put into the R&D process with our products. So you mentioned, you know, gummies are, yes, they're they are candy, but we look at it much like you were describing, which is it is a delivery mechanism. It is a delivery mechanism for cannabis, for, for medicine or recreational purposes, but it's a delivery mechanism, right? So we have to make sure that the quality of the product matches the value of the cannabis that we're putting into it. And so we spent a lot of time with our formulation and understanding that pectin actually has a much, much higher melting temperature. In fact, I think it's uh, just north of 200 degrees versus gelatin, which many gummies are made with gelatin. It is a, a much easier process to make a gummy with gelatin, but gelatin melts at 95 degrees. So we began to realize like, okay, we also, in addition to having a great quality product that tastes good and all that other stuff, we also have a product that doesn't melt in the summer. And so that really was the genesis internally for thinking about how do we promote that as a quality element to our product, but it's also, it gets a little bit into the uh, the safety aspects of, of, of it as well, because let's say your gummies don't melt entirely, so they're still potentially edible, but you completely uh, lose the, the dosing element of this, right? Because if they become a blob, you've then got to dose it yourself. That's a big safety issue for us, particularly as you noted earlier, if you've got consumers that are new to cannabis or you know, really rely on the fact that if we say a product is five milligrams, that it's five milligrams. When, when they're all melted together, you lose that control. Absolutely. Yeah. I think it's something that we're seeing happen in the CBD space, especially again, I'll always kind of throw myself in there coming from Texas. Yes, I like marijuana and I like to consume it in legal states when I'm visiting, of course. But I think when you come from the marijuana side, especially from the culture <laughs> of cannabis, I would just buy whatever. I don't really care about the quality. I just wanted something that got me stoned, essentially. Or if you're looking at it from a medicinal perspective, I wanted something that healed me. I didn't really care what it was made with, how it was extracted, what were those different degrees of quality that were put in place. And I think, obviously, it's happening in the marijuana industry. You guys are a great testament to that. But especially from a CBD perspective, I'm seeing that consumer be a little bit more specific on what are those ingredients in their products. And so I think it's just a nice merging of consumers who are very comfortable with cannabis, who are really just looking for products that are going to produce the result that they're looking for. And then also this new type of consumer who is maybe a approaching it from a more wellness perspective, who's like, I care about my body. I care about what's going in it. I want the dose to equal the dose that it says it's going to be. And I want to make sure that those ingredients are something that make me feel good about myself and not, you know, some of these dyes and different types of gelatin and filler products and things like that. So I just thought that that was a really well done. I didn't know it was just a test on LinkedIn, but I too think LinkedIn for anybody listening should know this about me. I love LinkedIn. I think it's a very 
easy platform to connect with a lot of people who are interested specifically in the cannabis industry. It's very hyper excited right now. And, and your proof, you know, getting you on the show, it was a really, I don't want to say easy, but it was an easy opportunity because I could just kind of build that connection through this platform. So let me touch on my assistant, my assistant (laughs) to get this. Sorry. Yes. You have to always go through the assistant. Yeah. I got an autoresponder message from you. That's how it worked out. But let me ask you uh, to dive in on that campaign or that proposed campaign. Was that your idea? Did you have somebody on your team? Like how big is the WANA marketing team and how do ideas like that kind of come to market? Because again, I come from a traditional tech corporate marketing background. We had a team, there was a CMO, there were managers, directors, there was hierarchy, but obviously it's cannabis and it's, supposed to be a little bit fun. So is it still that dynamic or how do people bring ideas up? So I think the question you're asking really is less about cannabis, more about corporate culture and how do you design an effective marketing team? And I can tell you a couple of things to answer the first question about the campaign itself. As you asked that question, I'm trying, I was thinking back to like the original discussions and I want to say it came from our sales team because they had heard something, I think in the field about other products that were melting. And then, you know, I think our chief revenue officer said, well, what if we did like a video where we could see which ones melt? And we thought, okay, well, let's take that video and, you know, make it into something bigger. So then the marketing team gets involved. And um, I think within WANA, we really try to foster uh, a culture where ideas can come from anywhere. And we put rigor behind the uh, development of those ideas and of course putting them into market, but the idea itself can come from anywhere from Nancy to Eric to someone in the field. And in the case of kind of the the structure and and how do we take ideas and then bring them to market, we don't have a huge marketing team. In fact, you know, I'm sure like just about every marketing team out there, you feel like you're too stretched. You've got, you don't have enough resources. There's never enough time. You know, every company I've ever been at, that's been the case. Right. So we did not have a CMO previously. I'm the, the first CMO that the company has had. And so I try to, to be uh, the conductor. So in some cases, I have the ideas and I have a vision of where I want things to go. But in other cases, it's taking other people's ideas and just making sure that we are um, executing them in the way that pushes our levels of creativity. And so that's one of the things I'm really focused on right now for, for Lana. Um, I mentioned earlier, we have great organic following, which I love, right? So I've got a really fertile environment in which to play, but creatively, we haven't really pushed the envelope. If you look at our marketing, like, you know, you look at what's behind me, you know, very lifestyle oriented, you know, enhance your life is our tagline. We try to fulfill on that, but we haven't really been laser focused on how do we fulfill on that. So my goal for right now for our team is to really push that creative envelope. And so um, I don't know if you've been to our pages, like our Instagram page recently, but we had a whole series of, uh, campaign creative on our vegan aspect of our gummies being vegan. And that was completely different for us. I mean, might not be that groundbreaking for another industry or for another company, but for us to speak in that voice and to really be aggressive about the fact that we are vegan, putting animal byproducts in your gelatin gummies is disgusting. That was kind of a a big push for us. So that's really where I'm getting the team to kind of to drive towards. And we have a couple of graphic designers. We have a couple of strategists and we have, a new uh, senior copywriter that we just hired. So that's, that's the extent of the team right now. That's exciting. And I just want to echo for people listening. They've been in business, you guys, 
for 10 years and five months ago hired a CMO. That was just a testament to the organic growth that you mentioned about Wana. And I think it's really exciting as a marketer to aspire to own, work for, build a brand like Wana and feeling the pressure of, oh no, I've got to have, you know, that magic hire or that budget or that runway that's going to allow me to do it. And y'all are living proof of hard work, good ideas, good interest in the industry. Like you care about the products, the ingredients, all those great things that really builds up to making a brand something that stands the test of time. All of that comes from one core place, which is the, the corporate culture, which comes from the top. It comes from the people that started the company, right? And why I say that is, you know, brand in, in my estimation is always an extension of the company. So you could create the best marketing campaign in the world, but if the brand itself doesn't live up to that brand promise, it falls flat and you actually end up probably damaging yourself. So for Wana, when we talk about being in existence for 10 years and not having a CMO, so much of our growth from a brand standpoint comes from the fact that we hire people who uh, match the, the the standards that we have, that we put the, the time and effort behind the products that we are the kind of people and the kind of company that we say we are. That's where so much of that organic brand loyalty has come from. So that's where I get to come in now and say, okay, we've got all this. Now what are we going to do to even grow it further? Absolutely. I think it's really, really amazing. And congrats to, you know, the last 10 years and cheers to the next decade. Thank you. Thank you. On that, I wanted to dive into a little bit of the formulation. Again, understanding how edibles work, Usually in the market, you see pretty much, you know, one-to-one ratio, meaning CB to THC. Y'all have a few different dosing strengths, um, much lower dosing. I would put it in the category of micro-dosing. So kind of with that lens, what was the very first product Wana launched to what are some of the exciting things with that kind of new technology or the future of who the cannabis consumer is? What's coming down the pipeline? So going way, way back, you know, there, there is part of this because we've been in business for 10 years, which means that we were pre-adult use. We were a medical only company early on and the regulations were different. The products were different. It was definitely a, a phase of experimentation. We did everything from Nancy likes to joke about a beef jerky product that we tried to produce. That was terrible. And uh, we had a, a hot chocolate mix. We had we had chocolates in our inventory, which we no longer have. I mean, there's a number of products that we did 10 years ago that we no longer do, but that's part of the evolution of this industry is both understanding consumer preference, understanding what works from a emulsification and dosing standpoint, but also how regulation, I often say regulation drives innovation in this industry because when adult use first launched January, 2014, the regulation said you could only have up to hundred milligrams per package, but they didn't say that it had to be in 10 milligram increments. So like when I was at Dixie, we launched like a one inch by one inch fudge product that was hundred milligrams. Well, then we began to immediately see that in the market, the recreational consumer was over consuming because they didn't know how to dose. They didn't know what hundred milligrams meant. And so the state within the first three months immediately said, wait a minute, hold on. 10 milligrams per serving max, 10, 10 servings per package max, and so they began to change that. Well, that necessitates a change in the types of products you can make. So that was evolution one. So our early products really were the, the gummies uh, in, the, in the adult use market and 10 milligram gummies. Now, we talk about ratios and we've begun to expand. Our goal is to provide a platform that really allows the consumer to customize their experience because 
not everyone wants to get high. Some people are using it during the day and, and using it for pain or anxiety for whatever other reason. So, okay, let's create a 10 to one ratio, meaning 10 milligrams CBD, one milligram of THC, because the two of them together, and I'm sure you're, you're familiar with this, you know, the entourage effect really is, a, it's a real thing. Like those two things go together very well and work with your endocannabinoid system in a way that uh, maximizes the benefits of both. So having a little THC in there doesn't get you high, but it definitely helps the efficacy of the product. That's a great product for someone who doesn't want to get high or using it during the day. Likewise, we even have a 20 to one ratio. We have a five to one ratio. We have our fast acting gummies, which we just launched a few months ago that has a completely different experience. It is faster onset. It's more like a uh, smoker's high versus uh, edibles, which not to get too geeky on this, but they, uh, when you digest them, they become hydroxy 11 versus Delta nine, which is what you smoke. You have a, more of a Delta nine kind of experience. So these products are designed to, to make, mimic more of a smoker's high. Plus the ramp up is quick and the exit is quicker. So it's a two to three hour experience versus edibles can be six to eight hours sometimes. So we're really, you know, the, the future of our product development is trying to provide as many ways for the consumer. I mean, my goal is that a consumer can walk into a dispensary and say like, look at a, a big chart. Like I can't see it, but I'm looking at a big chart and I'm saying, you know, okay, I want this and which leads me to that, which leads me to that. Okay. This is the right product for me. So they can really customize because that's what's so unique about cannabis is that there's so many different ways that it can be consumed as well as, you know, the effect that you want and all that good stuff. And there's so much science that's still to come. We want to be on the forefront of that. Yeah, I can agree. I think there's so much more to come. We're just scratching the surface. I know in our world, we're getting asked about Delta eight a lot Mm -hmm. and you know, it's just so fascinating when you start digging into how many cannabinoids there are and how they interact with each other. And then you add on terpenes and flavonoids and it gets really, really sciencey and nerdy, but really cool if you can figure out how to market it. Really, you take this really complex idea, you break it down, you package it, you give it to the consumer in a way that makes sense. It's accessible for them. And so, yeah, I think it's been really cool to watch your brand want to grow and be one of those leaders in the industry that's really talking about it from this personalized experience. Again, I think there is the consumer who just wants to go straight to the high, but like you said, and like we're addressing, there's so many other therapeutic benefits to cannabis. And so being able to create almost like a buffet for someone to comfortably and confidently approach a product, have some sort of, you know, safe entry into it and then build from there, I think is where the industry is going for sure. Well, I think part of what the reason that we have that spectrum of consumers is because of the way that legalization has rolled out, right? It's a state-by-state basis. And I see this, it's fascinating because I get to watch it every single time. New state goes legal, you begin to get the education curve. Initially, they're just like, cannabis products? I can go to a dispensary and buy them? Great, I don't care what it is. (laughs) And then, you know, they eventually begin to get educated and then CBD comes on and, you know, every single time, the exact same process for, for new states. Now, California and Oregon, a little different, right? Legacy states that had long-term medical platforms and then moved into recreational. So a little bit different consumer education base there, but Oklahoma, Missouri, all these new states, they're going to go through that same process. And y'all are in a lot of those emerging states as well as going into new markets. Like you're about to launch in Canada in 2020. I can imagine that one, yes, observing Colorado to California to Oregon, there's probably some consistency that regulators have observed of how it's gone. So really when I travel to legal states, I see edibles consistently at about a 10 milligram ratio, right? That's kind of the packaging. 
quick break to say thank you to Restart CBD for sponsoring this podcast. Restart CBD is a brand my sisters and I founded in our hometown in Austin, Texas. We operate a retail location as well as an e-commerce store, and you can browse our wide range of CBD products at restartcbd.com. Again, thank you to Restart for allowing me the time and resources to put on To Be Blunt. I hope you'll check them out for your CBD needs. Let's go back to the episode. How has that shifted or how are you anticipating that shifting your marketing strategy and efforts as you go into these new states where they're all individually regulated and how does going into a new country like Canada add complexity to that? It's always complex, always has been and for the time being always will be. So it's just kind of built into our DNA. That's just, we know it's going to be tough going into a new market. We know it's different regulations. We have different labels in Missouri than we have in Florida, than we have in Colorado. So we just try to find those elements that can be consistent throughout. One of those is the product. So of course, um, we focus heavily on, we have a team of people that are dedicated to ensuring that our partners in the new markets are 100% on top of the formulation and that they're creating products that we can produce here in Colorado that we'd be proud of. So there's that consistency. And that's actually a big one. I think a lot of people don't realize whether it's a gummy or another format, when you change the humidity, when you change the elevation, when you, you know, all those things change the nature of the product. So you really have to do R&D in each individual market. So we, we focus pretty heavily on that. But when we go into a new market, we just know it's going to be different. And we have a couple of core elements that we can place into each market. You know, we were talking a little bit earlier about labels, for example. There are some core pieces to our labels that we can put into every market but we leave the majority of it flexible because we know it's going to change and we don't order, you know, 500,000 labels because we know that each market's going to be different. So we order per market. I mean, it's just, it's just the complexity that kind of comes with the, uh, the territory. Yeah, I can understand that. I think there's just so much change and challenges happening constantly in this industry. You really just have to be comfortable with the change, but it's also a very exciting opportunity to go into these new markets and come out with a brand that's, built some credibility up in the space to hopefully give these new markets some confidence because I think that's been really interesting too, just to watch when I go to different legal states, you know, you see some of the brands that have hit that national level where there is the opportunity to go work with different partners and bring your brand into new states, which I'll kind of mention for anybody who's listening, because marijuana is not federally legal, you cannot legally make your products in Boulder, Colorado, and then ship them to Oklahoma, for example, you would have to go set up shop in Oklahoma with somebody that, like you said, you can trust, you can kind of tweak that formulation based on different, you know, things that are happening. And so I think people need to be aware that that's the case. I think people get really excited. They want to have a product. They want to go into the market. They're like, oh, let's go take it across the nation and not realizing, you know, the effort, not that it's impossible, but the effort that goes into that. And so to be a brand that's able to step into those new markets and have some sort of hey, like, look at all of our happy customers from Colorado. We've been doing this for 10 years. Now we're going into this new market. There's already that trust built there. So yeah. that's really exciting. You, you said early on when we were talking to kind of think about this uh, from a professor perspective, and you maybe just think about something that I think is important as marketers are listening to this to think about, which is there is inherent risk and frustration as a marketer in this industry. And if you're a person who is only comfortable kind of being in this and there are many marketers who do great work in that, right? That's great. Cannabis isn't the industry for you because there's so much circular motion. You have to redo things five times over or 
you take a risk and just hope that it's going to be the right thing. It turns out sometimes it's not the right thing, right? So there's a lot of that experimentation that still is taking place as a marketer in this industry. So if someone thinks, oh, it's so exciting to be in a new industry, and definitely is, but know that it comes with a lot of, a lot of baggage, and, and you have to know yourself and your risk tolerance and your ability to, to thrive in an environment like that. Yeah, I think you were promoting something on LinkedIn that I wanted to highlight because I just found so much value in it. I joined MJ Unpacked yesterday. I think your team is a sponsor. And one, we're obviously in COVID, so physical events, I don't know when that's going to pick up again. But as a marketer who really loves and is passionate about the industry, being able to be connected to industry events that are giving me information and putting me in a position to understand the different facets of the industry. And so I'll admit, I didn't really know what MJ Unpacked was going into it. It had an emphasis on the California market, but I was sitting there just learning how the data fits in California compared to these other states. And I think that while there is a lot of things that we can learn from state to state, also realizing the nuance of the particular state and the regulations that that state has is just really fascinating for me. And so, yeah, I just wanted to mention it like as a, I will say a younger marketer in this space, I don't know what I don't know, but I am really really looking forward to how this is evolving because as a marketer who just wants to like throw things at the wall and see what sticks, that's pretty much the opportunity at the table. There's no guarantees. There's no magic carpet ride straight to the top. I mean, we've seen really successful brands start from nothing. We've seen brands that start from a lot of money still end up in flames. So there's not a, you know, you got a investment or you've got a, you know, seed fund that's going to guarantee that you're going to succeed. And I talk about this in a few episodes from time to time, but really understanding the difference in the market. I think Colorado is one for me that I've always kind of admired because obviously it's the OG market, but Colorado really cares about the products. I think there's distinct dispensaries, but I really see Colorado caring about the actual products. I see a lot of really top um, consumer type brands coming out of Colorado versus California. I learned this also, Colorado doesn't have delivery service yet. And that's part of the regulations, right? And then you look at California where they're so tech driven, they're a little bit more in the culture of it, I think, you know, where the pot's grown. I just was watching one farm that was like, our pot is on the ocean. And so it's seawater inspired weed or something. And I was like, okay, good marketing, also just a different market. And so, you know, depending on where you come from, both you personally, where you physically live, and then where you want your product to grow. You kind of have to think about all that stuff, but it is really fun because you get to put the pen to paper and build something amazing. I wanted to lead into, you mentioned the professor thing. What y'all don't know is I had asked Joe to think of this conversation with a, you know, professor mindset as teaching mindset. And he happens to be a teacher, your current teacher, former teacher. No, I did it for a little while. I, I speak to classes pretty regularly at the Daniels College of Business at, at the University of Denver, um, but, uh, but I leave it up there because I, I liked having that, and, and, and hopefully I'll get to do that again at some point. It was much harder than, than I thought it was going to be, so like I've realized if I'm working full-time, I can't, I can't also be a professor. It's, like, it's got to be one or the other. Well, imagine our audience is your next class and you have the next big lesson coming out, but it's a cannabis marketing class. What would be one lesson that you'd be really excited to you know, educate this group of students on? Well, I, unfortunately, I think I kind of spilled the beans on that already, which is the ability to take risk and think in terms of how to remove roadblocks. Because you know, so often as, as marketers and on the agency side, I, I did this all the time. Uh, you have a client that comes to you and says, well, you know, we want X, Y, and Z, and we don't know what the budget is, and you tell us. And I, I'd say to them, 
I appreciate that, but but give me a box, right? Because then if I have a box, I can I can understand where I can push on that, do the proverbial thinking outside the box, right? For cannabis, there isn't a structure, there isn't a box, there isn't the ability to, in some cases, even create a box. So more often you have roadblocks more than anything. So instead of looking at an opportunity and saying, well, we can't do that because regulation says X, Y, and Z, you got to look at it and say, well, well, what can we do, right, instead? And I think that this industry is one that a lot of people come from from outside of the industry uh, who think that their experience at X, Y, and Z, consumer package, good company or whatever, uh, has prepared them for cannabis, but it's a completely different world. And so if you're not used to the idea of banging your head against a wall until you finally find that little crack where you can exploit it and, you know, and then figure out an answer, it can be a very, very challenging space despite the excitement and the, the uh, and the thrill of, of being part of something new and exciting. And by the way, something that is very socially, socially important. I mean, we, we talked a little bit earlier about, you know, about that aspect of, of this industry, but I would, I would take that a step further and say for those getting into it, I also think you need to understand this isn't just a product, right? This is about changing our culture and our society. Um, it's about overall harm reduction. Uh, if we had legalized cannabis prior to the opioid explosion, what would that look like today? Yeah, people still get addicted to cannabis. I'm not suggesting that it doesn't have its its drawbacks, but I'd much rather see someone be addicted to cannabis than to, to be addicted to opioids. And so I think you really, as a marketer, have to have that understanding and that uh, respect for the value that that the plant brings to our our culture as a whole. Well said. Yeah, I know you guys are really involved with Last Prisoner Project, and I think it's really important for brands who have stepped into the light to help, you know, make marijuana go mainstream also reflect on this path that, you know, got us here. And so I don't know if there's anything else you want to add. You've touched on it a lot, but I just wanted to highlight for anybody interested, you know, Last Prisoner Project is a really great resource that fights to end the discrimination and seek justice for those who are still incarcerated for cannabis. Yeah. We, really- and we remind ourselves every day that, we are here doing what we love and, and having passion for what we do while there are people still languishing in prison, primarily people of color because of, of the failed war on drugs and because of the inherent racism in that war on drugs. And, and so me as 50 year old white guy, I might be the poster child for, for exactly what people say is, is wrong with this industry, but I look at it and say, well, okay, great. I have this, this opportunity and this, and this privilege. What can I do to make change as a result? Do you have any recommendations for how people could get involved in maybe not just Last Prisoner, Prisoner Project, but are there other organizations that WANA or yourself are involved in? Well, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of really great organizations. Um, the Minority Cannabis Business Association is a great one. Um, it's essentially a, um, a funding source for minority-owned businesses that um, also provides mentorship and, and other benefits to those businesses because we've recognized that in markets where they implement um, social justice or social equity programs, even there, when you give someone a license, that doesn't necessarily guarantee they have the funding that they have the experience and all the other great elements that create a good business. Right. So being able to layer that on top of, of the actual social equity programs that a state or a local jurisdiction might implement are really important as well. So national campus industry association should have a lot of really good, information about other uh, organizations you can join on a federal level as well. 
Yeah, great plug. There's a lot of professional organizations that are trying to help level up this industry and bring together really great resources, individuals to go help fight that moving forward. So I think it's one thing to like be in the business side, but it's another aspect to actually be involved in giving back and helping shape that, not just curriculum, but shape the the standards and the strategy behind how this industry moves forward. So with that said, I have one final question. In all the cities that you can find Juana, which is a lot, do you have a favorite retailer or dispensary that we can highlight in today's episode? <laughs> That's Hard question to answer because we have a lot of really great partners and I am most familiar with Colorado because that's where I do most of my own shopping, right? We have great partners in other states. I am just not as aware of and familiar. So, you know, here in Boulder, uh, we have the farm, we have Terrapin Care Station, we have Medicine Man in, in Denver, we have Live Well. And, you know, a lot of people think of Live Well, for example, big chain, Medicine Man, not quite as big, but some of these bigger chains as being, you know, a lot of people the Walmart of cannabis, but they've done a lot of work to create some level of standardization so that when people go in, they know what they're buying, they know what to expect, they have the right education. So, you know, for people that long for the days of, you know, mom and pop shops, I get that. And there's, you know, a market for that as well, but, but don't undervalue the fact that some of these larger uh, organizations are really trying to push forward a platform that allows cannabis to be accessible to more people and providing education and having some consistency helps people do that, right? Helps people understand what they're buying. Yeah, it was really well said. I just watched the cannabis episode. Netflix just released the business of drugs and there's a lot of drugs that they highlight and cannabis was one of them, but that was the sentiment. It was, we could fight this and we could wish for it to be, you know, more of the mom and pop days. But the reality is cannabis is cannabis and pushing the industry towards at least standardization, regulation, quality, safety. It gives people confidence. It makes it less of this stigmatized demon drug that it's been made out to be. And it allows us to have a healthy relationship with it. So I think that there's a lot of sentiment around that, but hopefully more people can see the benefit of pushing it into the light so that we can all take advantage of this beautiful plant that freely, you know, should grow on the earth. So Thank you so much for being on the show. Is there anything else you want to add? Uh, no, I, I appreciate you having me. I, I appreciate uh, being able to share this with people. And I always love to hear from people. So, you know, find me on LinkedIn or Twitter or Instagram or anywhere else. And uh, I will try to respond to you if I can. And thank you for sharing information and for uh, being a resource for marketers. So that's all I have. I can't thank Joe enough for being on the show. Seriously, take him up and go connect with him on LinkedIn. You'll see a lot of the content we were referring to in the show today. And if you find yourself in a legal state, pick up some Wana gummies next time you're reaching for an edible. Also connect with me on LinkedIn. LinkedIn is a huge community for cannabis professionals, and I would love to continue the conversation with you over there. I appreciate you so much. Thank you for listening in today. I hope you got some value from today's conversation, and I'll be back next Monday with another episode. Love this episode of To Be Blunt? Be sure to visit theshadaturabi.com slash to be blunt for more ways to connect. New episodes come out on Mondays. And for more behind the scenes, follow along on Instagram at theshadaturabi.com.